Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an interesting statement. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oftentimes, the idea there is, holy is your name. I I think sometimes we make the mistake into thinking that that's a statement of fact. It is a statement of fact. God's name is holy. But in that particular usage, we are not simply stating a fact, God's name is holy. This is part of the prayer. We are praying, Lord, make your name holy. Lord, let your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it mean to make God's name holy? To hallow, to ask that God would hallow His name. So when we're thinking of this idea of God be holy, let your name be holy, we are asking that God would vindicate His name. That God would fulfill His promises. God would silence His enemies taunt God. Vindicate your name. How many people are right now on earth mocking and deriding the name of the holy God? Shaking their fist at Him and saying, you are wicked and evil. How is it that a God like you can allow such horrendous things to to occur on earth? If that's the kind of God you are, you are a wicked, evil, or impotent, uncaring God. We are praying, God, make your name holy. Vindicate yourself. Fulfill your promises. How many people are saying, oh yeah, your God said that He was going to come back soon. Well, where is your God? How many of our brothers and sisters are suffering for the cause of Christ and just before they're being put to death, their persecutors say, where is your God now? Where is the promise of your God? God, make your name holy. Fulfill your promises. Vindicate your holy name and silence the taunt of your enemies. We are praying that God's name would be properly honored. Do you pray like that? Do you ever pray, God, make your name holy here on earth? Fulfill your promises. Vindicate your name. Put to silence those who mock you. Do we care about the name of God? Are we praying that God, I pray that you would be properly honored? We've been looking in the book of Revelation, we've been seeing in chapter 4 and 5, the honor that heaven gives to the name of God, to the person in the holy presence of God. They bow down before Him. They fall on their faces and worship. Do we pray, God, that's what we want? Make your name holy. Our God is set apart. Our God is holy. He is not like you and I, and He is not like the the pretend gods that are made up, that are created by mankind. He is holy and He is set apart. Lord, we pray that You would make Your name holy. And so, as we come today to um, the book of Revelation, we are going to consider the idea of the hallowness 
that God would hallow his name. Before we do, let's just give a little bit of review as to where we have been. We began, I won't go all the way back to chapter 1, but we've been seeing the scene in heaven in chapter 4 and 5 of the name of God. Um, we are seeing things as they truly are. We are seeing that God is the authority and the sovereign of all the universe. That nothing happens outside of his purview, outside of his control. He is the one who is Lord over all. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who purchased for himself from, the, from tribes and tongue, from every tribe and tongue and nation, people for himself. And that Jesus is the crucified, risen, and coming again Lord. That's what we saw in chapters 4 and 5. And then in chapters um, 6 through the very first part of chapter 8, we saw what we might call the very first judgment cycle the judgment cycle were seven seals and we saw this judgment cycle um, span the length of church history and it culminated with the sixth seal in a description of the very return of Christ and as Christ in his presence as we saw that the people on earth saw the presence of the one who sits on the throne and the land and they, and they cried that the rocks and stones would fall upon him earthquakes and, and skies rolling up like scrolls and stars falling from heaven all of these cosmic cataclysmic events are occurring as the presence of God and the Lamb of God are, are revealed from heaven and the earth dwellers cry hide us from the one who sits on the throne and from the Lamb and they, and they cry out who can stand in their presence And then we saw in chapter 7 the answer to that question. Who can stand in the presence of the Holy One who sits on the throne and the Lamb who was slain? The ones who can stand in that presence are the ones who have the name of God and the name of His Son written upon their foreheads. They are the sealed ones as we saw in Ezekiel that, that the destroyers would go out amongst Jerusalem and they would destroy and they would destroy all the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so we see also that those who have have the seal of God on their foreheads and the seal of the Lamb on their foreheads will, even if they are put to death, they would immediately go into the presence of God and be declared the victors. And those who are the ones who are able to stand are those who have been purchased by the very blood of the Lamb and we see them standing in the presence of the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb who was slain, who purchased their redemption. Who can stand? These are the ones who can stand. These are the ones who we are convinced that nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ, that not even life or death or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, nothing can can separate the ones who have the name of the Father and Son on their forehead who've been purchased from all the redeemed and purchased from every tribe and tongue and nation. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. And it is they then who stand in the presence of God Almighty. And then at the very end of this, when God has judged the wicked and redeemed the righteous and leads the people of God to the tree of, of life and to living waters that all heaven shuts up. What more can be said? Who can speak? The perfect plan of God has been fulfilled perfectly. That was the first cycle of judgment. 
Today we are going to begin a look at the second judgment cycle. This is similar to the first judgment cycle. However, this judgment cycle, instead of seals being opened, we have trumpets being blown. But we are going to see some very similar imagery as we go through this. And we're going to see the judgment of God upon the earth dwellers. And all of it culminates in, again, in the return of Christ. We see this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven. And what is the declaration? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their face and worshipped God. And so, when we culminate the second judgment cycle, once again, it will culminate in the return of Jesus Christ who judges the living and the dead. So we begin today our study of this second judgment cycle. I will caution us or perhaps qualify um, this passage of Scripture with the idea that chapter 8 is a very difficult passage of Scripture to, to understand and to interpret. We must come humbly before a text like this. And though it is difficult to interpret, I don't think it is impossible to interpret. But we need to use good Arvid, we need to use good hermeneutical principles. So we can take that and look that up, right? We need to use good principles of biblical interpretation. And too often I believe that this passage of text has been, and, and much of the book of Revelation, has, and especially this passage has been interpreted by looking back at ancient historians to see um, how they understood this. For instance, many people will look back and interpret chapter 8 through um, the lens of the historian Josephus, who talks about some of these uh, very similar events that happened prior to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And they'll go back to this very um, well-renowned and respected historian to um, give shape to what's going on in chapter 8. And uh, I, I think that it's important that we consider the works of Josephus and other historians such as Eusebius and these ancient historians because they give us great insight as to what was going on during these during these days, these were first-hand accounts, but I don't think that that is the best way for us to um, look at chapter 8. Others, and probably more common, what, what they do is, is they'll, they'll look to um, modern technology to understand chapter 8. And so perhaps in chapter 8, I've heard people talk about, well, this is, this is talking about nuclear warheads and acid rain and some other technological advancements that were completely unknown to John. And, and while there may be some validity to looking to current events and uh, present day or future technology as a way to understand this, I, I think we would do better to use what we call the analogy of Scripture. The analogy of Scripture is simply this, and you've all heard it before, Scripture interprets Scripture. So instead of using Josephus or instead of using the newspapers or some idea of what may happen, why don't we go to the Bible? 
Perhaps we've already studied and looked to see how John relies heavily on the Old Testament. John uses Old Testament illusions and Old Testament ideas and, and to bring about, what it, to help us understand what it is he's seeing. John is thoroughly immersed in the Old Testament, so as he's seeing these visions, they, they are very grounded in the Word of God. So, good biblical interpreters use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have, um, we're not going to have great opportunity this morning to go into um, um, detail onto some of these things. Perhaps on Wednesday night we can look at these things a little bit more closely. But one of the things we're going to see here is we are going to, it's really going to be hard to miss the echoes of the Exodus. As we read this, we're going to see the Exodus. Probably next to the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, the Exodus may be the most important event in Scripture. We could argue that. It may be the most talked about event in all of Scripture. It's constantly referred to. You cannot read the Old Testament without reading, without understanding the Exodus. It's everywhere. It's throughout the Psalms. It's throughout the prophets. It's throughout the history. Everything comes back. I mean, they're always referring back to the Exodus. So we shouldn't be surprised. That John refers back to the Exodus, and we're going to see very clear Exodus language. Another uh, event that I think is alluded to here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it, but I'll just put it into your mind. I think we also see the overthrow of Jericho in this particular passage. Because you'll remember... First of all, remember the people of Israel, they come out of, they come out of bondage and they cross through um, the desert and they come into the promised land and there is a city standing in their way. A city that hinders them accessing and entering into the promises of God. That was the city of Jericho. And until Jericho fell, there was no entrance into the land of promise. And how did Jericho fall? By the blowing of seven trumpets. And then the promises of God are opened up. And we're going to see, as we go through the book of Revelation, this is quite a bit down the road, but we are going to see the fall of the city of man, which opens up the way for the people of God to enter into the promises of God. So certainly we see this idea of uh, an allusion, certainly to the, the, the conquest of Jericho. And one other thing we will deal with today, and that is this. God answers prayer. And we will learn that today that prayer is a means, is a means by which God brings about his hallowed name. So we need this chapter. We need Revelation chapter 8. We need it not just to anticipate future events, we need it because it provides hope for us today. You need it today. How many have ever prayed, grown weary in praying and wondered if God would ever answer your prayer? I would assume that every single one of you, if you've prayed once, 
You've probably wondered, is God ever going to hear my prayer? Will God answer what I have to say? I'm here to tell you today that Revelation chapter 8 should encourage you to pray and to keep praying because God will hallow His name. He will make His name holy through the prayers of His people. That's an amazing thought. Now when we pray today, God says, I'm going to hear my people's prayer and I'm going to make my name holy through their prayers. So let's read Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 through 13. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and and all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and then a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. And a third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on the third of the rivers and all, all the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood as many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened by day, and would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in the mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And so we begin... This study with the fact that seven angels were given seven trumpets. Now, one of the things we do when we try, when we read scripture, and I would hope that you would observe as you're reading scripture, and I know we've mentioned this before, but when something seems out of place, we want to stop and consider why does it appear to be out of place? And we have a number of answers when we see something that appears to be out of place. Some of our answers might be that the author was just confused. That's one answer. Another answer is that an editor at a later point was confused and inserted this seemingly out-of-place text. Or a third answer is that it's not out-of-place at all and that God is trying to speak to us. We hold a high view of Scripture here, and so we go with option three. And verses three through five seem out-of-place. I mean, just let me read verse 2 and then go to verse 6. It makes perfect sense. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If I just skip from verse 2 to verse 6, that flows real nicely. But all of a sudden, we have seven trumpets, or seven angels with seven trumpets, and then there's this departure to some angel standing before an altar of incense. 
Hmm. We should probably take notice of what's going on with this angel. This is not a throwaway passage. This is not just something that's like, oh, that's interesting, and then get to the really good stuff of the, the judgments of the trumpets. This is crucial to understanding the, ju- the, the trumpet judgments. So, as we set the stage, as we look at, the, look at this, we're going to set the stage for the trumpet judgments by looking at this idea of the prayers of the saints. Now, we should also note that trumpets have very important, um, play an important role in Scripture. For instance, we see trumpets, are, or the sound of trumpets, were present when Moses ascended to Mount Sinai. When God came down onto Mount Sinai, there was uh, as though the sound of a trumpet. We see that the sound of a trumpet was a summons to worship. We see that the sound of the trumpets were given at a king's coronation. We see that the sound of a trumpet would announce the day of the Lord. And so now we see these seven trumpets. But before we get to the, the blowing of those seven trumpets, we see this another angel comes and stands at the altar with a golden censer and much incense is given to him. Verses 3 through 5 take us back. They take us back to chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you remember that? Remember chapter 6, verses 9 through 11? When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of the Lord, and they cried out, How long, O Lord? When will you vindicate us? And so, and then it also takes us back to uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where there is this, uh, uh, the, the living beings before the throne have censors. Uh, And so we are taken back to the fifth seal. Where we saw the souls of those who were slain for the word of God standing under the altar. This would have been the altar of incense. And they asked this question, Lord, how long? When will you vindicate your name? Lord, we were condemned unjustly. We were put to death for sharing the gospel. We have done no wrong. We have loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we have loved God with all of our being. And we were brought up on false charges and put to death. Lord, how long until you vindicate us? How long? How long till people humble themselves before the name of Almighty God? How long until will God's name be spurned? How long will God's honor become a, be a reproach? How long will men love deception? How long, God, until you rescue the righteous? How long will the adversaries revile? How long will the wicked exult? How long, O oh Lord? So this angel comes up and stands before the altar, the altar of incense, and he holds a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints 
on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. You'll notice the association of incense with the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints rise like the smoke of the incense, a soothing aroma, and God is pleased by the prayers of his people. And so we have the prayers of the people of God who have been put to death because of the cause of God rising up. Only here in chapter 8 it actually says the prayers of all the saints. All the saints of those who have cried out, God, hallow your name on earth. Make your name holy. How long until people stop reviling the name of God? How long will wickedness continue? How long will the wicked prevail? Lord, hallow your name. And the prayers of the saints go up with the smoke of the incense and then notice what happens. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to earth. And so the prayers of the saints with the incense that is before this heavenly temple, God, the angel throws it to the earth. In other words, this fire that is thrown to the earth, the prayers of the Christian believers are integral. And after this then, the trumpet judgment sound. Do you get the connection? I want you to see the connection. I don't want you to think that this idea of the prayers of the saints is some sort of throwaway or some sort of interlude that we can get through real quickly and then get to the trumpets. Because the trumpets sound because the prayers of the saints are thrown to the ground. In other words, the prayers of the saints are the means by which God unleashes the trumpet judgments. Your prayers are integral to God bringing about His purposes and His plans to make His name hallowed upon the earth. Christian prayers are integral to the downfall of the world system that opposes God. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think that your prayers are integral to the overthrow of of this world system that defies and denies and denigrates the name of God? Our prayers are not just, Lord, heal my big toe. Our prayers are, Lord, hallow your name. Make your name holy. Make make it so that people see you for who you really are. Bring your promises to pass. Bring about your salvation. Judge those who are wicked. And so... We see peals of thunder which depict the presence of God. And so, folks, while the beast persecutes God's people and the rebellious city of man attempts to seduce them, as we will see in the book of Revelation, God hears the cries of his people and he avenges them. The judgments proceed from God as a response from God to his saints who cry out to him to extend his holiness to the earth. Do you realize that? The judgments of God proceed from God because his saints cry out to him. Are you praying that God's name would be hallowed? Do you pray that God's name would be hallowed? Are you weary of praying? 
that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you think, oh my goodness, darkness is creeping so fast? Who can stop it? What can we do? We're just one person. We're just a small church in the middle of Arizona. What can we do? It's easy to grow weary. And chapter 8 tells us, keep praying, saints. Keep praying God's will will be done and your prayers are integral to bringing about. That's right, your prayers. Little old sinful me, that's right. The ones who have the seal of God on their foreheads, the ones who have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the ones whom no power on earth, no scheme of man, not life or death or principalities can, can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Yes, you can pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God is storing them up and they are a pleasant aroma to Him and there will come a time when those prayers are thrown down to earth. God will judge and hallow His name. Be of good cheer. Prayer is a means by which God will judge wickedness and save His people. So keep praying. So now we come to the trumpets. And as I mentioned before, as we look at the trumpets, we should note the close association with the plagues of Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25, I think we have that text. It says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their growing. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel. And God took notice of them. Here are people enslaved for 400 years. And their cries are coming up to God. They did not cease praying. And they rose up to God. And God heard their growing. Growing. And he remembered his promises. And God then acted. They probably cried out, How long, O Lord? How long do we need to be enslaved to these Egyptian masters? How long, O Lord, do we need to continue being oppressed? How long, O Lord, is your name going to be mocked in this pagan culture? How long, O Lord? And their prayers rose up, and one day God says, I'm going to judge this wicked nation and I'm going to deliver my people and bring them into the land of promise. Note that God's, how God remembers his promise. The promise of his covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, God remembers the covenant that he made. God remembers the covenant made of Jesus Christ when he shed his blood. And he will not forget. How long, O Lord? We need to remember that God judged Egypt in order to deliver his people. And by judging Egypt, he was responding to the prayers of his people. This is a very interesting aspect that that we as believers need to come face to face with. That God glorifies his name by saving his people through judgment. Let me repeat that. That God glorifies his name by saving his people. If I stopped there, you'd all say, Amen. But God glorifies his name by saving his people through judgment. Look at the cross. God glorified his name by saving his people, by judging Jesus Christ for your sake and for my sake. 
sin was judged at Calvary. And God was glorified and we were saved. Look at Egypt. How did Egypt get delivered? Egypt got delivered. God glorified His name. He exalted His name. He showed that He was the God of Egypt. That He was the God and the Lord of all things. That the Nile God wasn't the, wasn't the Lord. The fly God wasn't the God of gods. The, not even Pharaoh, the son of Ra. The sun God wasn't the God of Egypt. That Yahweh was the God of all gods. And how did He glorify, He glorified His name and He saved His people. And He did so by judging Egypt. Don't be surprised that when Christ, that as we speed toward the physical return of Christ, that God will deliver you and I in the same way. That God will glorify His name and save His people. And He would do so through judgment. And in this case, like in Egypt's case, judgment comes through the prayers of His people. And God being glorified and His people being saved. God responds to our prayers. And God will bring judgments that correspond to the Egyptian plagues. The Egyptian plagues were, were done so for the purpose of bringing about repentance, but instead it brought the hardness of heart. I want you to understand that God's judgments do two things. They bring salvation. Somebody says, oh my goodness, God is a powerful God. I need to fall on my face and give honor and glory to the God of heaven. And the judgments of God harden people's heart so they will not repent and they will curse and shake their fist at God. I pray that everybody here today, when you see things happen, when you see horrific things happen, that you realize that there is a God in heaven, that you will worship Him, He is in control, and that you would not harden your heart. In Egypt, Pharaoh hardened his heart and was judged. But to those who heard God, they were delivered. So trumpet one, first trumpet sounded, there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and the third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Certainly, this follows along with Exodus chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 where we see a very similar plague come upon the land. We should also note that a third of the earth is burned up. This is important for us to note. Or a third of the earth, notice a third of the dry land basically is affected. Because each of these judgment cycles get more intense. Not a quarter of, of the earth like we saw in the last judgment cycle, a third. Birth pains, remember? Birth pains are going to increase. They're going to get more severe. And God's judgments as we go through these judgment cycles get more and more severe. And a plague on nature should cause mankind to repent. But instead, mankind does not repent, but hardens his heart. And then trumpet two the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the second angel sounded and something like, so it wasn't actually a great mountain burning, it was something like a great mountain burning thrown into the sea. I think this would have been a very real 
and vivid image to the people that John was writing to. Because in 79 AD, Pompeii was destroyed by the volcano Vesuvius. They understood burning mountains. They understood the effect that it would have. Judgment comes upon not only the sea and the, the seas turn to blood just as the Nile turned to blood. And judgment comes upon, even upon sea-based commercial aspects. And we're going to see this is a fairly important issue or a fairly common issue in the book of Revelation that when Babylon is judged, all the merchants mourn. So when, the, when a third of these oceans become bloodied, there is economic Im- impact. Trumpet 3, fresh water is, is affected. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on the third of the rivers and on springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now, of course, I probably part company with some of you and of course I would take this um, as symbolic. I don't think there is an actual star that's going to fall from heaven that's going to split up and only affect fresh water. I know some people say it's a meteor. I could be wrong. I was wrong one other time, so it's possible. (laughs) It just seems strange that a star is going to fall and then it's only going to affect fresh water. If a meteor falls, it's going to affect more than just fresh water. And I think maybe we can talk about this on Wednesday night, but it's quite possible that these are kingdoms. But think about every drink of clean water being a gift of God. Do you realize how blessed we are? I mean, so much of the earth does not have fresh water. We waste fresh water. Imagine not having a cool drink of water, a clean drink of water. This is called wormwood. This star was called wormwood. It was a bitter herb that would gradually, if you included it in water, it would poison you, but it would be gradual. Eventually, if you consumed enough of it after a period of time, it would kill you. And we see this as a a means by which God judges his people. We see this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. God is judging idolatry. And he says this, I will surely snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf will wither. And what I have given them will pass away. Why are we sitting still? Assemble yourselves and let us go to the fortified cities and let us perish there because God, because the Lord our God has doomed us and has given us poison water to drink. For we have sinned against the Lord. 
Poison water is a judgment against God for gross immorality and, and idolatry. And the fourth trumpet sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. This, of course, recalls Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. Egypt was in the dark, but the people of God were in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. God is the one who made all the lights that shine in the heavens, and God can make them grow dark. God is sovereign. Notice this is a partial darkening. Again, mercy. It's not a total darkening. God is having mercy. Repent. Turn. So basically, just a quick summary of these trumpet blasts so far. The trumpet blasts depict God demonstrating his holiness in response to the prayers of the saints. God is hallowing his name. God is making his name holy. My name is holy. I'm in control of heaven and earth. I, I make you live and I can cause you to die. I am the Lord of all. And I will judge you wickedness and I will judge all unrighteousness and I will save my people and just when you think things are looking dim things get worse then I looked and I heard an eagle flying mid heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet the three angels who are about to sound this doesn't look good does it the remaining trumpets are going to be exceptionally harsh. We see a very we see a similarity here with the seal judgments that were previous to these. The first four affected the earth, and then there is a depiction of a heavenly or spirit of heavenly or spiritual scenes. Next week when we begin to look at the woes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to shift our focus away from the earth and begin to look at heavenly or spiritual scenes. And the woes, however, affect or directed toward those who dwell on the earth. And I will just say this, if you are an unbeliever who has not turned and followed Christ, this phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is used throughout the book of Revelation to talk about those who will not repent and turn to Christ. And for those who have not repented and turned to Christ, these woes are directed towards you. And they are especially harsh. But if you are an unbeliever, God right now is mercifully calling you to repent and be saved from these woes. This is God's mercy. This is God's grace. This is God's long-suffering. God is saying, repent and turn. On the other hand, if you are a believer or a follower of Christ, our commission to us is the commission that was given to Ezekiel and we are watchmen on the walls. And if we know that the woes are a reality and we do not warn our neighbor, then the blood be upon our hands. And if we know that the woes are a reality, but we warn our neighbor and they refuse to repent, then the blood be on their hands. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The judgments of God are coming 
The judgments of God are occurring. The judgments of God occur as a response to the prayers of his people. The prayers of people calling out, God, hallow your name. Make your name holy. I'll conclude with this. This is a a quote from Ken Riddleberger. It says, indeed, as the city of Jericho was destroyed on the seventh day, on the seventh day, on the seventh blast of the trumpet, so too, when seven trumpet judgments are completed on the last day, the city of man will collapse and the kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And it is the prayers of the saints which bring down pagan empires. God has given to his people a great and mighty weapon in their struggle against Satan and the beast. And that weapon, my friends, is prayer. Let's stand and let's pray.